Yo, what's up? It's your girl, DJ Dark. Oh my god. Okay, so I have no intention of potting right now. It's just that I'm sitting here and I can't stop laughing um, at everything. <laughs> First, I was sitting here thinking, like, like, what must people think of New York when they see videos, like, the guys who are going crazy about the Knicks, like, because the thing is, like, it's the Knicks. Like, it's not even like they're going to do anything. But we just be so needing a win. You know what I mean? Because, like, nobody understands how we live. And then I started laughing about that. You know, the traumatized Joker laugh. And then I looked around my apartment. And I was like, yeah, no. Nobody understands how we live. Like, for example, <laughs> my apartment right now where there was a literal fire two days ago. And of course, I tell, you know, uh, shaman of the mountains, Carolina, and she's like, good, whatever bad was there left. And I was like, that's so true and so profound, and it's so troubling that that's like the first thing that comes to your mind. But like also, yeah. But also, you know, this like abusive relationship that we're in as New Yorkers with our geography or lack thereof um and the things that we then choose to focus on to get through it and to you know we take our wins where we where we find them and the Knicks you know that's a, that's also an abusive relationship that's a love-hate relationship right there and then I was thinking about bing bong and then I started laughing even more because you know, back to the, you know, Ariana, come to Coney Island, I miss you. Like, that I miss you. It's just, like, it's so specific to the brown guy who's a douchebag who wants to pretend that y'all used to talk. Like, that I miss you is so specific. Then I started laughing about that, and then I started thinking, I should I should pot a little bit, because I'm sitting here laughing my ass off anyway, and it's a beautiful day, and, you know, the astrology is perfect to speak your mind and, and hang out with friends and family and really just just be chill, so why not, right? Um, I wanted to talk to you about House of Gucci, I wanted to talk to you about Spencer, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about Dune. Uh, I'm actually not sure if I've talked about Dune at all. I don't remember. I was talking about it so much when it came out that I don't remember if it actually made it into the pot. But let's start with House of Gucci and let me go on record as saying, and I mean this and it's just across the board and this I don't think will ever change, okay? So just understand how extremely much, as the Danes would say, that I mean this. <clears throat> so, I will say this. Adam Driver in House of Gucci. Adam Driver playing the character of Maurizio Gucci is the hottest man ever his physique his looks 
that Maurizio Gucci, like, old Italian money demeanor, which we find out later in the film is quite a cultivated, you know, um, it's contrived to a certain degree for his, for the generation before him, but he's sheltered from that. So he is the fruition of their dreams, you know. Ralph Lauren starts polo as as the wardrobe for the fantasy he imagines in his head that wasps are privy to. He designs the wardrobe for the movie called The Old White Moneyed. But his children are authentically white moneyed. And so we come back to this, you know, simulacra, simulacra. Like we, we come back to this philosophical question of when the reality is no longer a reality when reality becomes hyper-reality, then nostalgia, I'm paraphrasing, I'm butchering it, becomes the only real expression left. Because the thing that was real, that made nostalgia just seem like a watered-down nothing in comparison, that thing is no longer real. That thing becomes hyper-real. So Ralph Lauren creates this hyper-reality from his imagination of what he believes that the old white moneyed would wear, the colors that would suit their lifestyle of stables and horses and outdoorsy, you know, rough-and-ready pilgrim-type shit, like the Pierces in succession. That's what was in his mind. But again, it was a fantastical interpretation of what he thought they would wear. And as with anything, when we do that, it becomes highly stylized. And then you have those people then coming to the fantasy version he created and buying it to continue to facilitate their lifestyles because it fits so well and some would even say elevated it to a level of chic that it wasn't before. I, for one, am a big fan. Not Polo, Ralph Lauren, and all that, because those are just subsidiaries who use the name. That's all licensing stuff. But the the old-school Ralph Lauren stuff, the riding boots, the blue blazers, the button-downs, yeah, totally, all about it. Love it. In the same way... the Gucci's created this mystique and it made them a lot of money and they stood like a barrier between the reality and the hyper-reality they were creating and then bore their children in that hyper-reality, making them this sort of perfect expression of nostalgia. Maurizio is what his father, Adolfo Gucci, wishes he could have been. 
right? Even better looking. The son of a beautiful actress. Raised with all the money in the world, but also with no concerns, no worries. And Adam Driver is, for lack of a better word, a perfect actor. Because he understands something very simple. And it's at the heart, I think, of all acting. Acting is in the body. When you are something in your muscles, you feel it. And everybody that's got mirror neurons in the audience feels it and they feel it in their muscles. I'll give you an example. Let's jump to Dune. When he's got his hand in the box. You ever hear someone make that noise that he makes when he starts to really feel the pain? I know you haven't. I know you haven't because I am quite fond of cinema and I've seen quite a lot and I don't remember ever hearing the sound of what sounds like an animal being tortured but trying to contain itself in a film, let alone coming out of a beautiful person in a high budget sci-fi film. That level of skill and acting and presence in the body to be able to create a completely authentic moment that everyone who watches it and hears that sound coming out of him resonates with, that is that is acting in the body. That is skill, that is high level skill. And here's Adam Driver, this fucking Scorpio, just sailing through it, making it look so fucking easy that you got to kind of second guess yourself. Like, is, I know it's Adam Driver, but also like that's Maurizio Gucci, but like, I know it's Adam Driver, but like, you know why? Because his body. I knew a northern Italian kid in high school. He went to Loyola. His mother was the head of a fashion house, an Italian fashion house. The thing that everybody noted about him and made fun of him for was how floppy he was. Very tall, very good looking. Very floppy, golden, blonde hair. Northern Italian. The thing about him was that he was so relaxed. He called everybody baby. He became really good friends with my older brother. They had this, uh, well, it's like the same way my brother became really good friends with Steven Tyler. I went to school with his daughter. The, the same, um, the three of them, they have the same, you know that enthusiasm, doesn't matter what room you put them in, doesn't matter what circumstance they're in, Vedic Sagittarius, my older brother, like, they're just going to have a good time. They're going to find a way to have a good time. I went to Steven Tyler's daughter's birthday party. I took my brother because I wasn't allowed to go alone. I was afraid he was not going to fit in. What's he doing there with his high school little sister? He must be so annoyed with me. Look over... You know, after searching everywhere for him, look over, he's at the bar with Steven Tyler. They've got a bunch of shots laid out in front of them, and they're taking shots off the bar. 
Okay. You know, this kind of nonsense. Um, anyway, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. So the thing about this kid was that he was just super, super, super relaxed in his body. When he met my older brother, they got along famously because they both have this same sort of like, you know, nobody can do anything to me. Nothing can happen to me. Mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. Like the world, all the doors just open for me. Everybody just loves me. Look at me. Look how good look, sorry. Look how good looking I am. Look how friendly I am. Look how charming I am. Mashallah, mashallah. And like, you know, the world is good. Life is good. It's, um, I like to call it the Buddha behind the walls. You know, before Siddharth knew what age was and poverty was and death was and uh, ugliness even was, you know, none of those things were allowed in his parents' court to keep him shielded from everything. Before he knew what those things were, uh, life was just this kind of beautiful dream for him. And I often uh, find that I just am not attracted to men like that because I, I have a brother who is like that. And, um, I just, for some reason, like, I just, I find it to be a bit, like, head in the clouds, um, until I saw this particular portrayal of it. So, the way Adam Driver handles playing a character that is, you know, how do you, really, really, it's a good question, you know, in terms of acting and just, in, you know, if we're talking about craft and skill, how do you portray that level of not just money okay because money can mean a lot of things a lot of people with a lot of money real tacky walking around looking a mess we're not talking about money we're talking about prestige we're talking about prestige that is associated with a look with a certain style so we're talking about you as a person always being a walking representative, a walking, living, breathing, ad representative, whatever you want to call it, for uh, this lifestyle that you sell, that you live off of, that is your legacy. Uh, how does that look? How does a lifetime of being raised that way and scrutinized that way and moving through life with that level of opulence and ease, you know, and, and again, that Buddha behind the walls, like how does, how do you embody that in a character without hitting people over the head with a bunch of fucking exposition and just basically saying in a conversation like pillow talk, fucking hate that shit. You know, just because the actor doesn't can't act, now you gotta have him fucking pouring his heart out to this bitch after they just fucked. Okay, thanks. Like, if he was good enough, we wouldn't need to know all this, you know? He doesn't need to lay there and tell her, oh, I was abused and this and this and this, you know? He could just walk around with his shoulders up around his ears all the time. We would know, you know? Um, anyway, uh, so Adam Driver, again, being perfect in his craft, uh, decides that the choice here is very simple. And perhaps that had a lot to do with actually studying the character, but I, I just don't find him to be that sort of actor. He is very much so an intellectual. So I think that the choice is an intellectual choice. 
How would someone like that be? Well, he hit it right on the head, like the Italian kid I knew in high school. Very relaxed in the body. Relaxed and long and lanky and thin and stylish, all wrapped up into one vibe. And what is that vibe? It is an elegance that comes with total security, total ease, total feeling of capacity and capability. You have very high self-esteem. You have all the money in the world. You are wearing and have always worn the finest clothes. Remember when I told you about Jude Law when they were making or they were about to make um, the talented Mr. Ripley and he said to the director, you know, you want me to behave like um, this kid, Dick Ritchie, who's eaten at the most, the finest places in the world and is the son of this shipping magnate. And, and the director said, yes. And Jude Law said, well, how am I supposed to act like that? I've never been to those places. How would I even know to take that casually? You know, how am I not going to have stars in my eyes when we're filming in these places that I've never actually seen? And you want me to go there and you want me to be super casual in my skin. Like none of it means anything to me. And Jude Law, again, because he is a Shakespearean trained stage actor, is able to really pull this off. But of course, Timothy Chalamet makes them all look like fools because he's been trained from such a young age and is such a natural talent that his level of embodiment, um, it surpasses even Adam Driver's. Although Adam Driver, I mean, that performance, no one else could do Gucci the way he did him. Nobody. That's iconic. That's iconic the second he decided to take the role. But when it comes to truly embodying and seeing what natural reaction then comes from the body, that level of acting that is truly exciting and exhilarating to watch because you feel like you are a co-creator in real time with an artist that is creating right there in front of you. You know, it's like being able to, Timothy Chalamet, the way that he acts, it's like being able to not just admire a piece of art, a sculpture, a painting. It's as if when you touch it or when you lock into it, when you start to watch it, you can suddenly see the nuts and bolts and the process and everything behind it. It's happening right in front of you. And yet, even though it is this naked act of creation that you are used to seeing produced and dolled up and tempered and sound, you know, mixed, you don't care. The rawness of it is actually what compels you. You can feel that something supernatural is happening. This is a moment where something new is being created in the name of a character, a fictional character that doesn't even exist, is being brought into existence and made real by having this real authentic moment. Whether it's the hand in the box or whether he's sticking his thumb in a peach or whatever the fuck he's doing, right? He's having these genuine moments of expression because he's letting his body completely be that person, that thing. And Adam Driver, very much so capable of the same thing, just takes that ability and 
fucks that role up. I mean, he beats the shit out of that role. He is flawless. Every piece of clothing, every hairdo, every uh, lilt of his voice, every gesture, every piece of jewelry. He is so very controlled. He is so gentle. He is so well-raised, well-mannered, cultured. He, he, like, I'm telling you, for me, personally, the hottest portrayal of a straight man that I have ever seen outside of, like, the sci-fi realm. Like, we're talking about real people. He's the hottest real person that I've ever seen portrayed in a film. You know? Because, like... We're not talking about fucking Howard Hughes, the aviator, God bless him or whatever. But like, you know, like it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond. And then you have this fucking all out genius, just pure genius of a performance from Lady Gaga. Just fucking flawless. This fucking woman plays this part like she's got a battery in her back. She is moving around every second. I've never seen anything more Aries in my life. This woman can't stand still. She is trying to get to the top in the middle, whether it's a conversation, a plan of dominance, money she's owed, a man that she is fighting for. It doesn't matter. She is constantly on the edge of her chair. She makes you feel like you're on the edge of your seat. She's always bouncing around like this energy that she can barely contain. She's like somehow holding it in or holding the lid over this fire. It is, again, in the body. This bitch took every note Adam Driver gave her and was like, I fucking see you. Okay? You're trained. I'm a... (laughs) I'm a girl who made a, you know, a high school experiment in fame and, and it turned into a real shit and here I am and I can sing and, and I see you, but I'm a quick learner, okay? And some people, some people, some people can just sing and dance and act. It's a thing, right? And she was like, bam, she took that note. Oh my goodness, the scenes where the two of them are just left to do whatever the fuck they do. They could be doing nothing. You can't tear your eyes from the screen. Listen, how fantastic does the acting have to be? They, they're not even, there's not even real chemistry there, but they're creating a chemistry that you know is being created for the film. It's not a natural chemistry, but it's accurate and it makes you feel good. And how wonderful of a performance does it need to be for you to not even notice the fucking stellar clothes they're wearing? That's how fantastic the the experience is when you have two truly talented people playing opposite each other. Okay? I don't know what cryo sleep they woke up Al Pacino from after his 25-year nap where he's been phoning it in. I don't know what doggy treat they put under his nose to wake him up, but it was good to see him after all this time. 
motherfucker look like Dracula being awakened after being buried in Westminster Abbey for 25 years. Anything that he's done in the past 20 years, I don't know what the fuck he was doing. To be perfectly honest, everything he's made since Devil's Advocate has been complete shit. Um, unless Speed was made after that, but I doubt it. And I'm putting Devil's Advocate in there because I really do believe it was a fantastic performance. But outside of that, he's just, I don't know what's been going on with him. But this performance here, fantastic. Now, my issue with the movie is a couple of things. One, so for all you sensitive bitches, please cover your ears because I'm about to tell the truth and it's going to hurt your feelings and you know how this usually fucking goes. Okay, now that the sensitive bitches are covering their ears, are we going to ever stop lying to ourselves about the fact that Jared Leto can't act? I'll wait. Are we going to keep lying to ourselves? Okay, he got a nose job and we all love him for it. Yay, Jordan Catalano. You can stay around even though you're not a child actor anymore and your button nose doesn't work because now you got a nose job. Got you, got you. Copy, copy. Here you still are. We all still love you. You're fine as hell. Nobody is doubting you. Although I never really thought so because his eyes are too close together for me. I don't like when people's eyes are, men's eyes are close together. No, thank you. So... What does that have to do with the fact that Jordan Catalano, which is what we should call him because that's the, that's the fucking wave that he's still like riding off of. That's all he's still got. Okay. When are we going to be honest with ourselves that Jared Leto can't act and can only play a creepy guy and can only play a creepy guy because he is a creepy guy? When are we going to, when are we going to admit this? When are we going to admit to ourselves that he destroyed an entire franchise called The Suicide Squad and no one's gotten around to telling the people at the studio this yet. So they just keep pumping money into a dying, you know, into a corpse. Who's going to tell them that the only reason that franchise didn't work is because the natural spinoff should have been the Joker, but they couldn't make the natural spinoff the Joker because he was so horrendous as the Joker that they couldn't imagine anyone wanting to see a spinoff. Why did we never talk about how horrendous Jared Leto was in The Joker? Although, and, and, this is, and this is the part that really like blows your mind. How bad of an actor do you have to be to be that fine? Okay, because there are a lot of actors that we could mention who may not be, you know, doing the Adam Driver level work. Listen, they all ain't Timmy T., but damn, at least they like try to hold it together and they're gorgeous. Okay. What? Did we all just like ignored the fact that like how bad did the performance have to be for him to look fly as fuck as the Joker? The look was on point. Again, he's a model. He's a model. The look is on point. If you could have taken a million pictures of him as the Joker and plastered them everywhere and, and not had him actually perform and, he, and not have him made those choices, those bizarre choices that he made, bizarre. And then, of course, Margot Robbie just being... What? Just being... I don't know. She's just that that formulaic like, I'll let the guy actor take the lead and play off of him. Um, and they love that shit in Hollywood. 
just cannot offer any support because he's so terrible and she's taking her cues from him so she ends up looking like a fucking asshole too great job so he destroyed the suicide squad franchise because the the natural progression there should have been wow it should have gone suicide squad comes out people go see it because will smith is in it basically with margot robbie and everyone knows they've been fucking since that other movie focus so boom so we all go see it because we're nosy and also good for will because you know what the fuck has jada been doing and then while we're in the movie theater we're supposed to be so hooked by jared leto's performance that when they tell you or when they tease it at the end that he's still alive or he rescues her uh, 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 and then you realize that the next movie is gonna be jared leto margot robbie joker harley quinn oh my god can you not just see the millions being made right now so you know they had that shit all storyboarded out. They probably had it franchised out already. They probably had merch already going into production. They probably had a bunch of scripts in production. They probably had a bunch of locations already scouted. Like they probably were full swing into making Jared Leto Margot Robbie happen because who wouldn't be? That is a no-brainer, right? Except his performance was so trash that all that take it for granted that just makes total sense that's a cash cow that's lightning in a bottle goes right out the fucking window that's how bad it was and we said nothing we let that franchise die and turn into whatever the fuck the new suicide squad movie was with the shark and stuff bro i'm not even gonna tell you what i really think of it um Right. Okay. So he did that. And we just kind of let it go. We were all like, okay. You know, not his fault. The movie was terrible anyway. Because the thing is, now that you have films that exhibit how profound these uh, superhero movies can be, if you just have good writing, which John Favreau clued you in on with the Iron Man movies, because John Favreau is an amazing writer, director. Once you've had a, a a look into a world where those movies can be done with nuance and humor and truly, genuinely good writing, um, there's no real going back, you know? And you'll notice whenever Favreau has not been involved, whether it's Iron Man, Avengers, whatever it is, um, the movie is shit and it loses its cohesion and it loses its humor and it loses its plot. Because good writing is the absolute backbone of, you know, any good story. Uh, no matter what kind of director, or what their process, no matter what kind of actor, or what their fucking process, or what they fucking think their process is. Um, the truth of the matter is, the writing, the poetry, is either going to carry the piece or it's not. And, you know, that poetry is what brings the cohesion and that, that dopamine shift within you when you watch something that's cohesive and presents to you you know something very pleasurable and round and and it has a beginning and an end and it makes sense and it makes you laugh and it moves you and it's a truly cathartic experience once you've seen iron man 2 or seen you know the avengers 1 like you can't settle for a jared leto joker and to be perfectly honest, like people say, well, he was really working against the thing because Heath Ledger killed everyone. Yeah, but what Heath Ledger did, nobody expected him to do. 
first of all, let's just all climb down off that hill very carefully, you know, and don't slip and fall on your ass and look like an ass because you already look like an ass on your way down because nobody thought, okay, nobody anywhere thought fucking Jordan Catalano was going to somehow compare or even try to reprise the role that Heath Ledger immortalized. Nobody thought that. That pressure was not put on him. Nobody thought that. Nobody expected that. You know, no, <laughs> that if anything, he was the one who kept bringing that shit up because he wanted to somehow be associated with that shit. And people were telling him, like, no, calm down. We're not thinking that. Of course, nobody's thinking that. Nobody's going to hold you to that. Like, as if you ever could, is what they were trying to say. Right? So, he fucking, just a disaster. He turns it into a disaster. We don't say nothing. We say nothing. Okay? We just let him. He's in that movie, The Little Things, where he plays a weirdo. Okay, perfect. He gets to play a weirdo like he is in real life. Perfect. We let him get away with that because he's fucking weirdo. Okay, perfect. Here we go, House of Gucci. I mean, Al Pacino did what he could, you know. Al Pacino's been in movies before with people where he needed to carry most of the weight. Um, he's good at doing it. He has a big personality. He can definitely shoulder, you know, shoulder the weight. Um, but with Jared Leto, you're just working with someone who's so absorbed with himself and his own idea of his own talent and his own idea of his own skill that there's no room in the room. There's no air. There's nothing to work off of. It's like bouncing shit off of a brick wall. Some of it sticks. Most of it doesn't. You don't really know what's going on behind it. You know, there's some kind of show going on behind there. Feathers, peacock feathers keep falling over the other side. You know, something's going on. But you can't relate to it. You can't get into it. There's no vulnerability. There's a play of vulnerability. There's a... What's it called? Uh, There is a like a phony attempt at vulnerability. There's a contrived vulnerability there, okay? But but nothing that ever hooks the viewer, nothing that ever genuinely registers as something that you could have a mirror neuron reaction to and empathize with because there's just a wall there. It's just performance for the sake of performance. It doesn't mean anything to the greater piece. It's not in cooperation. That's exactly what he did with Joker. There's no cooperation or cohesion with anything else going on in the scene or anyone else or their energy in the scene. You're just over there on your own, giving your own little performance in your own one-man show. Meanwhile, there's a whole fucking movie being made around you. But you don't seem to fucking notice. And yes, I'm good at these conversations because I've had these conversations before. Because sometimes you need to snap actors out of that. Like, listen, this is not, this is not the you show. This is a fucking movie. If a movie is a collaborative effort and you have to connect with every other person in this scene if you want to do a good job at your craft. You can't just come out here and put on the you show and, you know, expect the spotlight at all times because, first of all, that's boring. Second of all, there's no, there's no redemptive value in this. This is not art. <laughs> this is posturing. This is ego. If you want this, you could just go to the gym. Watch men work out. You go down to the courthouses. Watch men lie. You know? Go down to the basketball courts. Watch men compete. 
that's not what we're here for. We're here to make art. We're here to do something that is elevated to the level of the divine, something that heals the spirit and that heals the mind and then heals the body. You know, we're here to do something else. We're not here to put our egos on display and say, hey, look at me, look how handsome I am, look how big I am, look how pretty I am, look how blue my eyes are, look how well I can pretend to be somebody else, pat me on the back, look at what a good job I'm doing. I'm patting you on the back, Jared. Can you go sit in the fucking corner and stop terrorizing Hollywood with this shit now? Because you don't fucked up like five. I swear to God, if they put you in Dune 2, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on strike. I will cause a noise. Stay away from the Dune franchise. You are not welcome. You're going to fuck it up. Everybody knows you're going to fuck it up. Nobody wants to tell you you can't act. You know you can't act. That's why you always have that look on your face like the Cheshire Cat. Like, I can't believe I'm getting away with this. I peep you. I see you. Please just, you know, you have that weird, like, mind control... MK Ultra house that you live in that you bought that's cool whatever you're doing over there why don't you just go do that and please stop inserting yourself in films that could otherwise be glorious but are ruined forever because you have been in them and decided to bring your personal brand of fucking mayhem which is a quiet mayhem Jared Leto's mayhem is quiet the chaos he causes in a film the the absolute rot that he inserts in the center of the film that then eats away the heart of the film. It's very quietly done. He's a cat, you know, he's stealthy with it. Um, It's like a drop of a good performance and you get invested in the character. And then there's like a drop, another drop of what seems like an inspired performance. You're like, okay, I'm starting to like this guy. Starting to like this character, I'm investing more in this character. Because you are at first, of course, hesitant because you've been here before with Jared okay and then you like take a few more tentative steps okay he's he's really pulling me in here he's doing kind of a good job okay okay he's doing a great job okay he's now he's carrying a scene wait a minute he's carrying a scene okay i'm behind this wow this movie might actually be phenomenal and then jared does what only jared knows how to do which is come on you already know take it too far take it too far overacting 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 and as he begins to overact you begin to panic and go oh no i knew this was going to happen oh god i want out of this car oh no but then you're in the careening car and you've already invested your time and now adam driver is so fucking hot that you couldn't stop watching the movie even if you wanted to which means now once again somehow this cat-eyed motherfucker has conned you into watching another fucking protracted offensive contrived performance in another film that you would love to sit through in any other way but god damn it now you gotta watch this motherfucker for 20 minutes at a time Take over a scene and turn it to absolute shit. Okay, with these peaks and valleys where it's like a moment of consistent acting and you start to get hopeful and optimistic. Oh my God, he's actually doing a good job. Maybe he got coaching. Maybe somebody taught him something. And then there is this kamikaze careening downward 
into just nothingness. There's no talent, there's no reasoning, there's no method, there's just Jared being Jared for the sake of being Jared, and we're all gonna watch him do it because he's holding us hostage. That's it. He's got you here now. You gonna watch the rest of this because if y'all, if you've already seen Adam Driver fuck on camera as Maurizio Gucci, I mean, you're not gonna be moving for an hour anyway. Let's be honest. So just sit here and watch me do this because I got you now, bitch. Poor Al Pacino, you know, woken from his cryo sleep, doing the best he can to rein this motherfucker in. But at the same time, Al, Al, what are you going to say to him, Al? You be doing the same shit. Okay, you started doing it when you became senile. But still, you know exactly what he's doing. You can't call him on it. He's smart. He's going to turn around and be like, Mr. Al Pacino. Mr. Sensible Woman, first of all, why don't you get the fuck up out of here? Okay, so there's that. So, you already know, right? Once the movie was in Jared's hands, <laughs> Jared took us where only Jared knows how to take us, right? Like, the shit that, that he did, the only, the only good movie he ever made was where he takes you into an absolute, utter oblivion of despair, right? Uh, what's it called? A Requiem for a Dream? Of course, of course. He was stellar in that movie. He should have won an Oscar for that movie on the reel. He really, really should have. He deserved a fucking Oscar for that movie. But of course, of course he did because he took you to utter despair, which is apparently his fucking job, okay? So here we are, House of Gucci, and once again, you start to feel that uncanny feeling that you are heading down a road to hell, and the road is called the utter despair of Jared Leto's performances. So there goes Jared. Doing his I am the misunderstood Gucci brother. Very nice, very nice. Uh... You make it all the way through. Poor Al Pacino does his best to play ping pong with a brick wall. Doesn't work at all. But, you know, at least you see Al Pacino work up a sweat and maybe get his pulse over 30 for the first time in two decades. Um, So that's nice. Jeremy Irons is, of course, and always to a level that is frightening since I saw Damages. If you've never seen Damages, you're fucking welcome. Yo, Jeremy Irons could still catch it. Jeremy Irons could always catch it. Jeremy Irons could always catch it. Jeremy Irons looks like a fucking prehistoric T-Rex in Gucci talking about, I designed this scarf for Grace Kelly. Bitch, yo, yes. Everything about Adolfo Gucci, yes, yes, absolutely, for certain. Who else was in that movie? Not really nobody. Uh, Selma Hayek. You know, Selma Hayek was on the podcast that goes with the movie. And she was talking about how Ridley Scott wanted her to look ugly. So she gained a bunch of weight. And now she's finding it really difficult to take the weight off because she's over 50. And uh, she was like, yeah, I know what I have to do. Because he's going to say I'm too pretty to be a tarot reader. So I just have to gain a bunch of weight. uh, So I can be like, quote unquote, uh, an ugly tarot reader. So there's so much wrong with that that I would like to unpack, but also, like, she's a Virgo, and I know she didn't mean it the way she was saying it, but also she totally did, so what are you going to do? But also, (laughs) yeah, I don't know who has to tell her or who's going to break it to her that no matter what the fuck she ever did to herself, she'll never look ugly, and also that she didn't look in any way what she thought she looked like in terms of her weight. All of that, with, like, she tried it. <laughs> Do you understand? She really fucking tried it with that because 
I know what she's doing. Listen, listen, I'll tell you what happened. You know what got Dracula Al Pacino? <laughs> this motherfucker woke up from a cryo sleep, okay? Do you understand? Do you understand what got them to pump some new blood into Al Pacino? Wake his frozen ass up. Because they got to set and gaga, okay? <laughs> now, I like some of Gaga's music. But what the fuck does she know about cameras? to be around 
is that underneath that softness and fluidity is like a rigidity and a routine and principles and you know and and a moral compass that's very strong that they live by they have very strong uh morality and very strict priorities when it comes to what's important um and what the hierarchy is of importance they work very much on those hierarchies so what you see on the surface is only possible that fluidity that spontaneity right that lack of structure is only possible because underneath it there is a an enormous structure at work and it's one that's really needed so if you come across a leo that kind of seems like they're chasing their own tail and they can't get it together that's like the one thing that you should uh, tell them to focus on first of all create a routine mm. doesn't matter if it's like not very much of a routine doesn't matter if it's just two things you decide to do every day but it will begin to add that structure that will then make other parts of your life um really comfortable when they're not structured right so when most of the zodiac confronts leo right to get behind that lion's gate what they confront what what they're trying to deal with is that good time person on the surface and every time you try to engage with that person you're just going to get that fake leo response that's not what gemini's do gemini is not trying to get leos to like them gemini's assume that if you don't like us it's because you just don't want to hear the truth so we're not in the business of having people like us we understand and we've always been burdened with the sight we can see and we can speak and we can say and that has always gotten us in trouble from a very young age so we don't have any kind of a system set up within us to make that um affirmation wheel spin we don't need it because you're never get because you've never liked us because no matter if we're telling you something good or bad someone's always mad at us for just saying it you know and and oftentimes most 99% of the time we're just saying something early we're not even just saying something that you're not going to come around to yourself you're going to get there you're going to think the exact same thing but you're going to get to it a year later and in the interim that year where we've already said it you're mad at us the whole time you know and then it, and then a year later you come to that conclusion whether it's like our fashion choices our political choices whatever whatever you're mad at us in the interim when you can't follow our train of thought and then somehow you know bumping and grinding you get there and then you're like oh you were right so it's a really thankless job because at first you are mocked and then you're hated and then you're kind of ignored and then in the end people kind of treat it like a foregone conclusion like oh yeah by the way that's so funny you were right yeah thanks you know so we don't have that thing where we need people to like us because that what i just described to you that timeline is what happens to us over and over again so we've just been trained out of it we're too traumatized to even think that people would affirm us for telling the truth so when we come across leos we're not expecting anything and we're just acting like ourselves you know okay this person's going to hate me i'm going to tell them the truth they're going to hate me and we do it anyway and leo knows that we're doing it anyway and leo knows how much we have to lose and how angry they could get with us but they're just so taken with the fact that we just want to tell the fucking truth and it's so refreshing for them because underneath that fun loving person is someone with a very strong moral compass recognizes when someone else has a very strong moral compass and immediately finds it endearing so the child gets let past the the lion's gate because you know out of purity of heart like what we're saying isn't what Kanye is saying isn't wrong 
Gaga's a great musician. She doesn't know shit about cameras. She really doesn't. Or film. Or Kodak. Or anything that has to... She doesn't know jack shit about it. You know? So... Getting back to the movie... You know, there's cryosleep Dracula Pacino. And everybody got to the set... Including Mr. I'm Gonna Ruin Every Movie I'm In, Leto. And, and here comes Gaga. Okay? In character learning Italian, okay, spending time figuring out the difference between being an Italian-American, her, and being an Italian-Italian, okay, comes to set in character, stays in character, in method, meets the actors in character, okay, okay, so they're all like, oh shit, this bitch over here fucking crushing this role and the cameras aren't even on, I better fucking quickly get on my game. So everybody got their shit together and got on their game. And then, of course, Adam Driver. Everybody knew Adam Driver was going to crush it. We knew, knew Gaga was going to crush it, too, but you didn't expect this level. When you see the movie, you're just like, oh, okay, Gaga, I see you. Yeah, I see what we're doing now. Now we just want to win Oscars every year. I get it, and I'm not mad at it. We knew Adam Driver was going to bring it, but Adam Driver brings it on a level that other men, you know, they don't feel like they can compete with him. Adam Driver is too overwhelming in the ways that men like to compete with each other that they just give up. He's just obviously an alpha and they just have their tail between their legs. He's too tall. He's too good looking. His voice is too deep. He's too talented. He's too kind of, he has this gravitas as a person. He's scary. Like men just, you know, they defer. Men, men are smart that way. They know when someone's stronger than them. They just defer to him. So, th- so he was never really an issue. But here comes little Gaga, okay, with this fucking tour de force performance while she's just getting, you know, craft services and you're like, oh God, oh God, I better fucking step up or I'm going to be the asshole. But of course, you know, everybody gets the memo except Jared Leto. So of course he fucking tanks the film. Everybody tries to help, but really there's only so much you can do when one person is insistent in poking holes in the boat. And um, ultimately, you know, you walk away from the film thinking there's going to be a director's cut at some point 20 years from now and it's going to be fucking glorious. And in the meantime, you're just happy that you got to see the hottest man alive playing apparently what used to be the hottest man alive playing the hottest man alive. And, and you know, your meta, your meta hotness moment is complete. So that's House of Gucci. Now let's move to Spencer. The first thing I would like to say about Spencer is that I have ordered pearls. Next, uh, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart is beautiful. Kristen Stewart is beautiful every day, all day, in every way. Kristen Stewart is so beautiful, and maybe this is because I am bisexual, because when I talk to straight women, they don't seem to see this at all, but I've never met a woman who was gay or bisexual that didn't get this right away, so maybe it's just us. Sorry, straight women, right now for having to bore you with this, but Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart is glorious. Kristen Stewart is gorgeous. Kristen Stewart is perfect. Kristen Stewart is talented. Kristen Stewart takes something that very easily could be parody, that very easily could be unintentionally comedic, could very easily be a failure. And instead, she crawls into your soul with those eyes and the tilt of her head and you begin to remember if you are of a certain age how much you liked Diana 
how out of place she seemed, how much like a flower among monsters. You begin to remember that when you were a kid, you used to watch her and you couldn't help but notice how different she was from all of them. How scared she looked. How timid. And yet, so defiant. How do you play that? How do you play the nuance of a real person? Someone who was timid and cancerian by nature and yet a mother that would not, could not be denied. A woman who ultimately now looking back on it with so many years of hindsight, refused to be discarded by a system that tried to break her. And when they found they could not break her, they tried to make her break herself. In Spencer, you follow her on a four-day Christmas trip with the family, one that was highly publicized one that occurs right when they've decided that the way to break Diana is to make her break herself because they have been tapping on that shell from the outside with diamond-tipped hammers, but they can't seem to crack her. And throughout the film, you are shown that secret life that they all tried to figure out what was her battery? You remember her interview? What is the strength she has? Where does she get it? What was she going to do with it? Well, in Spencer, they show you what that battery is. It's those moments. Those moments you have, those stolen moments that I suspect are the only things you remember as you die. Those moments when you pulled your child aside at a family gathering and said, are you cold? Those moments where you stayed up late with your kid and laughed at the dumbest, dumbest things. Those moments where if you are so called and you are lucky enough to become a mother. Those moments where nothing matters and nothing could be more perfect and nothing could ever be better than right then because you are with your child, your children. And there is nothing more than that.
for those who are called to be that, children become a font of strength, an inexhaustible font of strength. They become your purpose, they become your reason to be alive. They become your world. In Spencer, you watch a woman who is slowly succumbing to the demands that she destroy herself instead of making a fuss. You watch Kristen Stewart in pure art house fashion swallow pearl after pearl. And at first you're shocked. But as the movie progresses, you begin to understand that they kept trying to put a leash around her neck, but it wasn't enough. They wanted to keep reminding her the leash was there. Put the fucking pearls on. It's not enough that there's a leash around her neck. You gotta yank it every now and then just to make sure she remembers. And her womanhood, her motherhood, her cancerian spirit just would not submit. She would rather eat her shackles than continue to wear them. Spencer takes you inside the madness that we experience when we realize that we are not loved. That we are being deceived, that we have been replaced. That who we are and how we are and what we look like and what we've done doesn't matter. But even though we have been discarded, we can't be released. We can't be free. Think of it. Your husband doesn't want you anymore. He's having an affair that's so public that it's a constant source of embarrassment. But you can't get away and you still have to pretend and smile for the cameras and get dressed up and wear the pearls like you're supposed to. How to endure. How would the mind crack up? What would you start thinking about? Would you see things that weren't there? Spencer has an odd effect. You watch it and you walk away from it. And somewhere inside you, it sits. And you don't want to relate to it. And you don't. You focus on the fashion, the flawless fashion, the flawless lighting, the flawless set design, the flawless shots, the flawless colors. And then something random happens. In my case, I watched it six times because I wanted to understand it. 
And then, oddly enough, a week and a half later, I'm laying in bed last night, and I've had no sort of emotional reaction to it, although it is all very tragic and very sad and just awful. Watching a woman try to be free, there is something almost Kafka-esque about it. Every door she turns to seems to be closed and she doesn't know why. So it's like watching a mouse in a maze. But there's no way to watch it without feeling like a fucking cat. You know? You start to feel guilty like you're watching a snuff film or something. And then... Quite randomly, she will come up in some completely other context. For me, it was last night watching the Beanie Babies documentary, which I only watched because I used to have an extremely, extremely rare Beanie Baby that one of my friends gave me that I threw in the trash, I'm pretty sure. It was like one of the Jerry Garcia buns or some shit like that. Anyway. I'm watching the Beanie Baby documentary just because I think it's fascinating. And the dude's like a real douche, right? It's like Willy Wonka, but like douche Wonka. And uh, out of nowhere, completely unrelated, how would I know? But it was at the same time. You know, that, that, the 90s, so we graduated high school in 95. So the 90s uh, was when we were in high school, 91 to 95, and then college, 95 to 2000, basically, 99. So the 90s is high school and college. That's like our whole, you know, youth. And the Beanie Babies were so emblematic of that time period that we all used to talk about in high school that we were so lucky you know that there were no wars and we were the first generation you know since vietnam that was being raised in peacetime it's all relative right because we knew about kosovo and serbia and stuff but we didn't really know because the clintons were very adept at keeping their foreign policy kind of hush hush um and now I'm thinking, like, maybe the reason Hillary's so pro-Israel is because they have so much dirt on her husband through these Epstein flights and stuff. Anyway, um, it was a period where perhaps quite naively, if you ask, like, someone from Latin America, for example, we thought was peacetime. And we were so kind of vocal about searching for an identity and what does it mean to have an identity in peacetime and what does it mean to be a generation that doesn't have anything to fight for or doesn't really need to fight and that all came to a pretty you know screeching halt when in our senior year I'm pretty sure it was our senior year um the Oklahoma City bombing happened which I know I've spoken about before and you have to understand we were seniors and we were very much tied into the culture and very much tied into you know the world around us and we were we were very much tied into the society around us which was at the time high society and we were very much tied into the music culture 
And right after the bombing, uh, I don't remember the name of the group, but the, the group that wrote that song, Lightning Crashes, they made an Oklahoma City bombing version of the song where they take excerpts from the radio and the TV and they mixed it in with their song, which is a song about a woman who dies in childbirth. Um, And the thing about Oklahoma City was that there was a daycare. And if I've mentioned this before, I'm sorry. It's just really, really traumatic. The first two floors was a daycare. And it was past when people came in for work, so it was full. And just like that, from one day to the next, our little happy bubble where the most entertaining thing in the world were these stuffed beanbag animals. Turned into a fucking war zone. Because the truth is, that bombing was just the beginning. We went from post-Vietnam peacetime to open carnage in our streets. Dead children. In what felt like a blink of an eye. We didn't know what fucking militias were. In New York, what the fuck is a militia? I mean, we knew. We knew in terms of, you know, constitutional law. We knew what a militia was. But are there militias? What the fuck is the Michigan fucking militia? And it was like the hit that shattered the glass and and then the 90s just took a turn. And we were just kind of starting to process that turn. That everything was starting to spiral. And then boom. Princess Diana died. I'm watching the Beanie Baby documentary and, you know, they hit on it because they made a Diana bear, a princess bear. And while they're showing it in the documentary, they're showing clips of her. And then they're showing the day after in front of Buckingham Palace. (sighs) It was just an ocean of roses. Just an ocean of flowers and tears. 
because we all watched her wriggle with her leg caught in that trap. We all watched her. We all saw her beg us with her eyes for help. We saw her turn from man to man looking for protection. We saw her make questionable decision after decision. We saw her take it out on herself when she couldn't overcome her weakness, which was her kids. And so she continued to have to be subjected to that bear trap her leg was caught in. And yet, as luck would have it, doorbell rings. Actually, no, the phone rings. Guy comes to the door. Gucci loafers. In my size, the Gucci loafers with the double monogram. So on the sides, it has the big oversized monogram. And on the front, it has the small classic monogram. Bitch, these loafers cannot be found. And they sure as fuck can't be found in my size because my size is so common. Crazy. Crazy. Call that shit into your life, baby. All right. So Diana. So... I see a couple of clips of her in the Beanie Baby documentary. <coughs> Excuse me. And really, without any intention, just out of nowhere, seems like. But I guess emotions always seem that way to a Gemini. I just, my eyes started to cry. This is the only way I was putting it. Like, I was surprised at what my eyes were doing. I was like, what are you doing? And it occurred to me, that what was coming out of me was so, so painful that I had watched that movie and completely ignored all, all the parallels that I had, in fact, used that film much like the pearls in her soup. I had eaten it over and over again until I was desensitized to it until I didn't see myself in it anymore until it felt normal sure I kept telling myself I liked the pearls and I liked the outfits and I fucking love Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart, whatever the fuck her name is Kristen Stewart but it wasn't until I saw her herself that all that acting and all that style and everything in that film suddenly made sense Kristen Stewart's showing you what's behind her eyes and she's right on the money and after you watch the film you watch Diana and you can see it in her this constant plea for help. I'm really trying my best, but this situation is fucking untenable and they're fucking monsters. But hello. 
Yes, I'm very pretty. There's also that. And it is simultaneously keeping me safe and also making me an international target. How does a woman who just wants to feel safe and loved go from the most unsafe and unloved situation to then becoming target number one and therefore completely unsafe in the world? Loved, to be sure, by everyone, and yet not safe anywhere. You watch Spencer and you take in the art house nature of it. And as all art house films do, they stay with you and they change you because they are conceptual and that is their purpose. But I was not ready for that performance then to be superimposed onto footage of Diana. I was not ready for the realization that hit me when I saw her. There she was. Just another person trapped. Unable to win and yet incapable of giving up. Ready to fight the strongest, scariest monster in the world. The monster that took over everything, exploited and stole and imprisoned and enslaved everyone. How one woman thought that simply by being a mother, she could upend that is astounding and admirable and inspiring. and heartbreaking. Because they just snuffed her out. They tolerated her antics until they became too scandalous. The future King of England cannot have a Muslim half-brother. King William cannot be tarnished like that. And this woman, she just refuses to behave. At this point, we don't even know why she's doing what she's doing. Because we don't understand freedom at all as a concept. We have in fact used all our power and resources over the past thousand years to curtail freedom. And here right in our midst, 
grows this flower that turns its face to the light no matter how many times we shop it down? Whatever will we do? I know. Let's take her to the overpass in Paris. Let's take her to a spot where women named Diana have been sacrificed for thousands of years. Let's kill her right there to make sure that her spirit is expunged as it seems the case needs to be done over and over again. There are only 12 people on the earth. 12 players. You ever meet someone that you suspect is a player? Hmm. And now let's talk about Matrix. Or as I like to call it, <coughs> when the filter comes off. Did somebody ask the Wachowski, like, who needed this? Who wanted this? Who wanted this from you? See, I knew that this was going to be trash by the hurriedness of it. They really took their time between the first one and then making the, the, the second two. And the second two were kind of ass, TBH. So for them to like kind of kick up a plan, formulate this and the Bill and Ted's and a couple of other things all at once, you know, it's like it's like an obvious change of management situation. You got some young blood in there who all of a sudden is like, why don't we do a remake of this? And why don't we do this? And why don't we do this? I could get it going. I could get the ball rolling. And all of a sudden you find yourself in three projects that really just back to back to back keep reinforcing to the world that you are old. You couldn't just stay in your John Wick back. I don't understand. What's the point of making a Matrix 4 when you're a dinosaur if you're not going to be all powerful in the movie? What's the redemptive quality for the audience if, you're, if you don't become omnipotent? That you're just like some old dude struggling in the Matrix? This, you thought that's what we wanted to see Neo doing? You thought our beloved character needed to go out like this wearing the fucking beanie the fuck and also y'all can't like glycolic peel him no more or what y'all can't like IPL his ass like what was happening and what the fuck happened to Carrie Ann what, Carrie Ann what's her face Carrie Ann Seamoss what happened to her where is, I don't understand, because it's Hollywood. Like, y'all couldn't, like, get her some, like, PPP. <coughs> no, that's not it. Whatever, the vampire facial, y'all couldn't do anything for all the fine lineage. Nothing. Because how y'all thought that in the age of Instagram and filters and Snapchat and all this, that we were going to be comfortable emotionally watching a film within a film where you keep throwing it back between these geriatrics and when they were like fly as hell how you thought this was going to be a pleasurable experience i don't know 
but I will tell you that you are completely out of touch. The directors, the producers, everybody. The fact that you use Priyanka Chopra really does tell you everything about everything about everything. Because you know that nobody can stand her, right? And this is me saying this. I can't stand that bitch. And, and, and I've never met anyone that could. But here's the thing. This is, this is what's so crazy. This is how horrid she must be as a person. Everyone that you talk to, and, I'm, and I'll be the first person in line to admit it. Priyanka can act. Listen, give Priyanka a desi role in a Bollywood film and she will give you such high-level acting that you're like, wow, Bollywood films can actually be fucking amazing when the acting is good. Like, Ashwarya Rai can't act to save her life. Ashwarya Rai is just going to turn from side to side, give you expression, turn to the side, expression, turn to the side. She's a model. She's just giving you model. She's giving you model wearing a sari. She's giving you model who's upset. She's giving you model who's heartbroken. That's all she's ever done. And y'all ate it up because that's all you think women are is one-dimensional shit. Very good. Brianka is not that. Brianka is going to give you the whole range of emotions. Brianka is going to make you feel something. You walk out of that movie like, damn, I can't stand that bitch. But she could act. Yeah. So you took that bitch that everyone is well aware is actually talented and you put her in a role where the writing was so bad that even she couldn't do anything with it. And on top of that, nobody can stand her. And on top of that, you put her in Bantu knots. And on top of that, are you okay? That's my major question. My major takeaway. Are you feeling all right? Okay, you don't get him no threads. You don't get him nothing. You got him jowly, sagging all over the place. Like, what's the, what's the, what's the plan? Y'all don't. My parents called and now we're back. I love this shit. I love this disjointed shit. I love this unstructured shit. Oh, I just love when I feel free, you know? And also, what were they thinking with that movie? And are they all okay? And why, oh why, oh why, has no one been putting any stock in the writing? It's one of the things that I heard in the House of Gucci podcast, and there's all this improv going on. You let Jared Leto improv that movie straight into hell. Okay, Jared Leto has put the bar in hell. Okay? With this improvisational performance. You let a motherfucker who can't act. Okay. Improvise the movie into the depths of hell. What happened to writing? What happened to memorizing fantastic fucking scathing writing? Memorizing it to the point where it flows out of you. Fear and loathing style, Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro style. What's wrong with memorizing really complicated, deep dialogue? What's wrong with memorizing it to the point where it flows out of you natural? Like they did. What's wrong with having a strong script? If House of Gucci was trying to get made for 10 years, nobody thought over those 10 years to write a fucking script? Because that's why the movie falls apart. The performances are fantastic. The, obviously, the visuals are fantastic. Although, it's completely lost on me why the clothing wasn't more central. Yes, I get it. You're trying to tell a story. But 
I mean, for God's sake, even the fucking Untouchables were all wearing Armani, and you could tell that Armani was a presence in the film. Why is Gucci not more of a presence? You thought y'all could just stick Selma Hayek in there and that was enough? Okay. All right. You know, someone, someone has to be the voice in the boardroom that obviously nobody wants to be. You know, this is the major problem with California. I've always thought this. Everyone just needs to be liked. Everyone very much needs to be liked. Okay. So you're not getting people sitting in conference spaces saying, why is Priyanka Chopra in this movie? And and if you are going to put her in the movie, and she's one of the only people that can carry the movie, um, let's not even get started on whatever the fuck Jada Pinkett Smith sh- thinks she's doing. Let's not even start. Let's not. Let's not. Because, <laughs> mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm done with her. Um... Yeah, you put her in a movie and then you shoot all these scenes with her that you don't show us, except as strange flashbacks that make no sense, and then you try to build a story around it. Like, who paid who to look the other way when it came to continuity? Who? Who's on the take? Who bribed who? Because Matrix 4, to me, honestly, reads like Rum Diary. It reads like a complete bastardization of a, a work. Well, okay, and this is what I said in the live. But it also completely makes sense to me that if you plagiarize and steal somebody's work, that you're not able to recreate that genius and continue to, you know, steal from them. Totally makes sense to me. I'm not at all surprised by this. Right? I'm not at all surprised by this. Okay, so there's that. Is the story any good? Eh, not really. Is the idea of now making Trinity, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, is now making the idea, the idea of making Trinity the central character any more redeeming or less redeeming? No. No. Was it boring? Yes. Is it quite a feat to turn something as exciting as the concept of the Matrix into something boring? Yes. How did they manage it? Nobody knows. Would someone please give Villeneuve, the guy who directed Dune, will someone give him the Matrix franchise? Will someone wrestle it out of the psychotic hands in which it now rests and give it to someone who actually knows how to make a film? Because that would be great. That would be nice. It's just disappointing. You have all the raw material. You have ostensibly one of the most famous people in the world ready to work with you on something that he made a success back in the day, along with your stolen words. Entire stolen concept, right? For which they had to pay like a billion dollars. You have all the raw material. You have the past. You have the present. You have all the actors you need. And somehow, this TV movie lifetime shit is the best thing you can come up with. It's a fucking disgrace. It's a fucking disgrace. When the Transformers movie is better than a Matrix movie, 
Yeah, that's a fucking disgrace. Would you rather watch Matrix 4 or the first Transformers? And no, you fucking lying if you don't say Transformers. Any the way. So there's that. So overall, pretty disappointing films. With the exception of House of Gucci having these insane performances and also Maurizio Gucci played by Adam Driver being the hottest person to ever live. That's nice. That's It's a nice thing to have checked off the list, you know? Like, perfect person. Ah, there they are. Yeah. What else? So New York seems like a little bit of a zombie land right now. It's very 28 days later. Everyone is lamenting how they thought it was over, but it's not over. Can I help you guys out with something? It's never going to be over. <coughs> After this comes MRSA. Drug resistant. After that comes drug resistant tuberculosis. Oh yes. The fun continues, kids. I suggest you get real comfortable with the idea of either being solitary amidst many or solitary amidst the few. I suggest you pick up some survival skills, some language skills, Spanish, probably a pretty safe bet. Put a little bit of money in something other than the dollar. Also a good idea. Maybe have a little of whatever that metal or coin is on hand. Also a good idea. Start planning for the future you're afraid of. Take your head out of the fucking sand and stop thinking that going to get back to the movies, getting to go back to the movies is freedom, okay? This is no longer about an establishment that wants to kill you. I'm so sorry to say that to those of you who are very conspiracy-minded and seem to commiserate with me about that. I'm going to be really harsh with you for a second, and I apologize. The future that awaits us is not a future ruled. Be ve- let's be very clear. Is not a future being determined and ruled by a nefarious elite. Drug-resistant TB is something that has been on the horizon for a decade. We have been very well aware of it, and yet hopeless to stop it. It is the slowest car accident in history. And it is one that will decimate the world. Now that is not because there is some nefarious elite, again, that will spread this around the world. This is just the natural progression of our behavior and the complementing behavior of these viruses. Okay? So... If you are resistant to a future that is based in sanitary and hygienic living, in covering your face and even your hair, oh, we're going to get there. And y'all are going to be mad. Because when it's all said and done, and you feel safe, and you're actually being hygienic and safe, you're going to look wildly close to people that just a few years ago you swore were oppressed but that's for another time. 
We are not heading towards that future, that sanitized, isolated, dystopian future because of some group of people or a bloodline. We're heading that way because there's so fucking many of us and we are hotbeds for viruses and bacterias of all sorts because we don't give a fuck about each other because we give a fuck about ourselves, okay? If we truly gave a fuck about each other, there would be no poverty, there would be no illness, there would be access to healthcare all over the world. These arbitrary borders wouldn't exist. In fact, instead, countries would be working together so everyone was provided with housing and healthcare and education. In which case, if that was true, something like a coronavirus or a TB or anything could sweep all the way through the population. But of course you would have the natural you know, ratio of deaths. But if you had a universally taken care of population, these things would not become the calamities that they are now. Okay, so this is not about some group of people that is trying to kill you or keep you down. This is the natural result of a group of people having control that really don't give a fuck about you. You not banding together and creating enough legislative power to oppose them, perhaps not even being aware that you could perhaps not caring either way, regardless of if your acceptance or your acquiescence was passive or active, you still agreed. And you allowed these, let's call them families, bloodlines, companies, politicians, you know, global conglomerates to assume control and power over the things that, the facilities that you need in your respective countries, the water, the electricity, the education, the healthcare. You became legislatively absent and corporations slipped into the void created in that absence and started to petition for their rights and their interests since you obviously weren't and no one like you was, and you've been taught through Hollywood and the TV and everything in between and the schools you went to that the legislative plot process and the, the process of making laws was something that was not in any way related to you except for you going to the ballot box every four years. It's not like anyone ever laid out a clear road for you and said, here, Here's the road to becoming a politician or changing the laws or changing the rules or making this better. No, that didn't happen, but you didn't do it either. So here we all are with a system that's crumbling around us. And mind you, this is not happening in places where the system is not crumbling. Okay. And we are all, whether actively or passively, we are complicit. And these situations are what create the breeding grounds for things like drug-resistant TB. So when that happens, which it will, it will. Who will we blame? What I'm trying to get at is, it doesn't matter how the fuck we got here. This blame game is not working. You, 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 can't, you cannot possibly anymore 
turn this into something political. Although, yes, I understand the urge to do so. I completely get it. But this does not work. Because there are things that are not political at all. Like tuberculosis. Like MRSA. And when they spread, they will spread like fucking wildfire. And it will not be anybody's fault. It's just what is happening. So the fear <clears throat> is that you don't want to wear a mask because you feel like it, you know, it's your rights. I get it. Because Corona, whatever you think about Corona, I get it. The fear is that you will then feel the same way about drug resistant TB. And if you don't wear a fucking mask, not only are you going to get sick, you're going to make half the world around you sick. Because that's not an if and 5G maybe. That's TB. That's really, really real world stuff right there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so, so even the controlled opposition is what I like to call it, is so destructive in this case. Do you understand what I mean? <clears throat> I hesitate to make this something political. I've been very clear actually from the beginning that I think masks are very necessary and I think they're very necessary everywhere. And I don't think we should ever go back to a time when we're not wearing masks, when we have to congregate inside, when we have to travel, when we have to be around other people in, um, in, in, in indoor environments. I don't, I don't think that masks are a, a bad idea. I think they're a great idea. I think that more and more spaces should be made larger and more outdoor for eating and et cetera, et cetera. But I also think that you should be able to risk it if you want to and be around groups of people inside without the mask. But I think it's just stupid. I don't, I don't think it should be something political because, because the thing is tr truly, as soon as this becomes a conversation about TB, okay, this is no longer going to be about your rights. This is going to be like, it will be easier to shoot you in the head than have to convince you to put on a mask if we get to, when we get to drug resistant TB territory. It, 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 it's gonna be 28 days later and it's already fucking 28 days later right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's just a slippery slope, I get it. In this instance, I get it. What I'm saying is from a medical point of view, what comes next has nothing to do with left or right and it has nothing to do with human rights to be perfectly honest it's just science and to stop that to stop the things that come next that we have uh, let's be clear again that we have known were coming that we have every indication it is clear it is on the horizon to have any chance of surviving that, your normal is going to have to change quite a lot. Okay, my mother always says in Pakistan, they said that all the really beautiful girls get TB. And I immediately looked at her and I said, I wonder if it hides in the hair. And she looked at me and it was like she had a light bulb moment. She said, oh my God. 
Every one of the girls I knew had really, really nice hair. It had TB. They either died from it or got really sick from it. You know what comes next? Cover the hair, cover the face, cover the body. Ooh, what will happen to your egos? What will happen if every person that walks by you can't look at you like they want to fuck the shit out of you? What will happen? Will you survive? Just a question, just a question. This is your girl. (laughs) DJ Narc. I'll be back. Love you.